I'm here today with Dr. Leah Gunning-Francis. Leah is a seminary dean, mother, and the author of Faith After Ferguson, Resilient Leadership in Pursuit of Racial Justice, which is about to release from Chalice Press. In June 2016, she became the Vice President of Academic Affairs and Dean of the Faculty at Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis. As a Black mother of two sons, she has grounded her scholarship and activism in an ethic of love that honors the humanity of young Black men in a society that too often has little regard for them. So, Leah, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Well, it was really wonderful to kind of both of us reflect on our experiences of Indianapolis and uh, common friends and everything. So it was, it was great to get to know you and, and, and chat a little bit. Um, but maybe you can tell folks a little bit more about your background beyond what little I touched on there. Sure. So I am uh, originally from a small town called Willingboro, New Jersey. And then once leaving from there, went on to college in Virginia and actually majored in marketing. and felt that I wanted to have a career in business, moved back to New Jersey, started working for a couple of different companies, sort of climbing the proverbial corporate ladder, was doing well, but felt this sort of call tug to do something more with the church. Now, I'd grown up as a, a church person, if you will, being active in our local United Methodist congregation. Uh, but I also, you know, at this time was feeling that I, I was supposed to do a little more. Long story short, ended up going to seminary at Emory University, and it just broke my world wide open in terms of thinking about how the church can be an agent of social transformation in the world and in really empowering and equipping people to join God's transforming work in the world. And so I just sort of went on from there to pursue my PhD and have served congregations, served as a professor, and now serving um, as the dean at Christian Theological Seminary. Well, that's so wonderful. Um... I changed careers from business to, you know, what I'm doing too, but much later in life than you have. <laughs> so congratulations on, you know, doing that, accomplishing so much too. Thank you so much. So before we get into the new book, can you tell us a little bit about the earlier books that you wrote? Sure. So um, many of you may remember in 2014 when Michael Brown was tragically killed by a Ferguson police officer. At that time, I was, my family and I, we were living in St. Louis. Um, I was on faculty at Eden Seminary. My husband was pastoring a church. So we were very involved in a lot that was happening around the city. And so when the Ferguson uprising um, happened, you know, we became very active in the protests and, and the ongoing movement for racial justice there in the St. Louis area. Shortly after that time, um, Chalice Press invited me to write a book on clergy involvement in Ferguson. And so what came out of that uh, was my first book titled Ferguson and Faith, Sparking Leadership and Awakening Community, where I interviewed many of the clergy people from various denominations, many of the young activists, because we know that it was the young people that really led the movement, um, to find out not only what they did in the movement, but how they understood this as an expression of their faith. Because I'm a practical theologian, Brian, and it's really important for me to think deeply about and encourage others to do the same, how we understand God's activity in the world and how we align ourselves with that. And so to have these wonderful um, and, and very, you know, searing, if you will, 
conversations with people who were actively engaged in this work, um, you know, in, back in 2014 was, was really powerful. And so after that time, you know, the book really took off in a lot of congregations and universities, colleges, community groups, because as we've seen over the years, more and more people have been asking, you know, what is God calling us to do? How can I join, you know, a movement for true racial equality and justice in our country? And it's been a privilege to have Ferguson and Faith be a part um, of that discussion. That had to be amazing, you know, the set of discussions that you were able to have at that point in time. Yeah. It, it was, it was, you know, and, and to see so many people come and say, hey, we can't keep going like this. What can we do? And to hear the, the very heroic stories, if you will, I know the people I talk to wouldn't call themselves heroes, but I do. Um, and heroes in the sense of not because they wore capes, because, but because they, they led the way in showing that activism really begins with the heart. And they were doing this out of love, doing it out of care, out of concern um, for all of us. And so that, to me, is a true hero. Very important. Very important. Mm-hmm. Now, the new book... Um, it is a completely new book. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's called Faith After Ferguson, Resilient Leadership and Pursuit of Racial Justice. Um, and so let me read a couple of the endorsements uh, from a couple of folks about this book. First from uh, Jim Wallace, Leah Gunning Francis' conversations with both the clergy and the young activists show how important it is for communities of faith to reach out to a new generation of young readers, young leaders and help elevate and nurture their gifts. And from Shane um, Claiborne, this is a very important book. Leah Gunning Francis has penned a theological memoir of a movement. It's an invitation to see the spirituality at the heart of it. So um, that's very exciting, um, you know, uh, to get uh, comments like that from people like that. So uh, so congratulations. Um, but maybe you can tell us more about what the second book is about. Sure. It was such an honor to have Jim and Shane's support of, of Ferguson and Faith and, and trust that that will go forward into this new book. But the new book, Faith After Ferguson, Resilient Leadership in Pursuit of Racial Justice, really picks up where Ferguson and Faith left off. So after Ferguson and Faith was out and I'm going around and talking about it, the good folks at Chalice Press came back to me and said, hey, Leah, would you be willing to go back to Ferguson and find out what's happened since then? You know, what has come of so many of the efforts that were launched um, during the the uprising and many months and into the years afterward? What can you find out? So I had the good privilege of going back to Ferguson, to St. Louis, to interviewing some of the people that I interviewed for Ferguson and Faith, as well as including some new people. Um, to talk to, to get their perspectives on what has happened in Ferguson um, since the uprising, you know, took root there. But also, in addition to finding out what happened, what's happened in Ferguson since the uprising, as you know, Brian, so much has happened in our country. Unfortunately, we have seen more Black men, women, and even children 
be killed by those who are sworn to serve and protect us. People that were unarmed, that were standing in a Walmart or were driving a car or, you know, were walking down the street, wherever it may have been, we've seen that happen over and over again. Most notably and recently, the public killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a little over a year ago. And so what I felt compelled to do was pull the story beyond Ferguson to really fix our gaze in what's happening nationwide across this country. Brian, I go in pretty intently in talking about not only some of these incidences, but also how over the past four years, we've had a president whose rhetoric, whose conversation has been in very explicitly hurtful and harmful to so many people. The name calling, the degradation, the dehumanization of anybody that did not look like him or agree with him has done a type of damage on our psyche that will take years, if not lifetimes to undo. And so to have all of that coming together at the same time, and I culminate with the January 6th insurrection Mm. um, because that too is an event that we cannot just look away from and say, well, that was then, let's let bygones be bygones. No, that broke open very clearly who we are. And if we are going to be a country that is serious about living into a world and creating a world that is just and equitable for all, um, we can't just look away and pretend that those types of things, the rhetoric, the actions um, are inconsequential. And so I pull all that into the narrative of faith after Ferguson, ultimately asking the question, you know, who are we going to be? We have to make a choice. This notion that there is, you know, middle ground where we can just sort of stand in the middle ground and kind of vacillate between this perspective and that perspective, that myth has been debunked over these past five years. We have to choose, Brian. Either we are going to be the kind of people that believe in a society that lives up up to its ideals of liberty and justice for all, that lives up to a belief that as people of faith, that it is doing the work of God to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Either we're going to do that, or we're going to continue to devolve into a society that um, insistently creates this stark dividing line along lines of race and class and ability and sexuality and gender. Um, and we've got to make a choice. This, the vacillation isn't working for us. And so this is what, you know, faith after Ferguson calls us very clearly, not only into that conversation, but also to think about what it means to do that work right where we are. Well, I totally agree with everything that you're saying and glad that, you know, you've been able to incorporate so much into this book. It's, it's actually pretty bad news that you've got so much material. 
Oh. You know, I mean, unfortunately. Brian, I begin my introduction by saying, I wish this book did not have to be written. Yeah. But it did. Wow. So, you know, part of the book you said is going back to some of the folks that you talked to, you know, for the initial book, right after the Ferguson incident, what have they learned or what has changed, you know, from their perspective? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things that have changed there. One, they are very clear that they have become an organizing city. It is no longer just about, you know, Ferguson, which is a northern suburb of St. Louis, uh, but rather how they understand themselves as a region in terms of being at the ready to speak up, stand up um, against injustices, to include racial injustices, but extends beyond that. Um, That is something that's very clear because the networks that have been formed through the Ferguson uprising have really strengthened and created a solid foundation for upon which they could build for a more longer term approach to uh, the kind of transformation that they're hoping, hoping to see. And another thing we've learned is that you know, this, that what we are hoping to see, the kind of change and transformation of a more just and equitable society, that's not something that any one uprising can accomplish. That's not something that any few protests can accomplish. It is the long game work. It is something that requires diligence, it requires patience, it requires commitment, it requires flexibility and nimbleness. These are things that we learned through Ferguson, um, but that change can happen. Look, a, a brand new congressperson unseated a long-term U.S. congressperson in St. Louis, right? That, that, that. That can happen. Um, There have been different kinds of of organizations that have been established that weren't present before that are still active today. That can happen. But we've got to keep our eye on the long game. We can't, what we've learned is we can't permit ourselves to become easily discouraged just because we don't see the kind of change happening that we want in two or five or 10 months, let alone two or five years. So um, I know myself, speaking for myself, I mean, I've done a lot of reading lately um, about some of the historical aspects of racism that I wasn't even aware of. And um, through, through books that are being published now and, and revealing some of these things, um, so to me, that's that's a change, at least that I've perceived, you know, or at least become more aware of. Let me just put it that way. The other big change is the availability of video video footage, right? You know, and so much has happened and still happens. It doesn't get recorded. But, you know, at least we're seeing the tip of the iceberg. You know, some of these incidents is that were not for the convenient availability of video cameras on phones, we still wouldn't know. Right. So, you know, I think, you know, a book like yours that sheds a light on more, you know, things that have gone on um, that everybody needs to know is incredibly important. 
I appreciate that. You know, I say all the time that this thing right here, whatever version you have of it, has changed the game forever in the movement for racial justice and justice period in this country. Um, Brian, it's important to know that for as far back as I can remember, there have been uh, Black communities that have spoken up and spoken out when a person has been killed by a police officer. And they would speak up and say, um, he didn't have a gun. He didn't have a weapon, although the police report was they had a weapon. But yet, you know, witnesses were saying there was no weapon. And who did people believe? Of course, they always believed the police. And the question was, why would they lie? Why would they not tell the truth? But now here we are in 2021 where we have seen video after video after video of Black people who were unarmed and um, having encounters with police officers that were extremely troublesome or actually being killed as we saw in with George Floyd or as we saw uh, with Walter Scott in South Carolina a few years ago. He had been stopped for a busted taillight or something inconsequential like that and started running away from the police officer. The police officer shot him in the back and then on video is seen walking over to Walter Scott's dead body and planting his taser by his dead body. It's on video. So, yes, we cannot underestimate um, or undervalue how now having these cell phones at our disposal to be able to show these video recordings that has undoubtedly been the game changer in the movement for racial justice. And unfortunately, it shouldn't have taken all that, but it has. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's just so much coming to light, you know, yeah. in multiple dimensions that needs to come to light. It's far overdue coming yeah. to light. Yeah. But, you know, at least maybe with increased awareness, it helps us be able to address it eventually, gradually. But as you said earlier, it's going to be hard work on the part of, a lot of folks. <laughs> it, it, it is. And now we cannot say there is no person that can now say, well, I didn't know, or I wasn't aware, or, oh, you didn't see what happened before, after the video started recording, any of that. You know, we, we've all now seen enough to know. What we're dealing with now, Brian, are people, too many people who have decided I don't care. They, you know, have decided that, no, we believe that the status quo, which is inherent with systemic racism, as have been, has been documented by scholars and others for decades, that they're insistent that, well, nope, everything is fine. We just need to leave things as it is. And because there are so many people in this country that have drawn that line and are standing firm on it, uh, those of us who are um, aware that uh, this cannot continue in this way if we are to have a country that is open and just and equitable for everyone, we have that much more work to do. At least I, I have a feeling that that's 
going to happen more and more, you know, that, um, I mean, I could be wrong. I hope, I hope I'm not, but I just feel like there's more and more people that are realizing, you know, um, that we can't leave things the way they are. There are. I mean, even looking after George Floyd was killing, you saw it. You know, do you know how many companies and yeah. not-for-profit yeah. how much money and effort has gone into saying, wait a minute, we can't keep going like this. We need to spend money investing in opportunities. We need to really take seriously what is happening with policing in the United States of America. Um, there are there have been more and more people that are saying, no, this can't continue to happen. But Brian, I also want to say that in addition to these things happening on a systemic institutional level, we're seeing more people think about what this means on a very local and private level as well. The conversations that are happening within families and among friends People are looking into the eyes of their children and their grandchildren and saying, this is not the world that I want you to grow up into. This is not the ethic that I want you to take into your heart and your mind. Brian, listen, racism has been passed down from generation to generation. Less we don't believe that. You know, how many people have said, you probably heard them say, you know, I think once older generations start to die away, we'll see more and more acceptance, more more, uh, justice, more equality. But then we saw the Tiki Torch night raid happened on the campus of the University of Virginia. No, friends. Racism is not going to just magically go away once older generations die away. They've done their work in passing it down to the next generation. And so it's incumbent upon us right here and right now to say no more. And so, yes, while we have systemic changes going on, we still need individuals, families, neighborhoods, to have the kind of conversations and do the work that says, what do we need to do right here and now to create a world where, you know, we're not passing this ethic down to our children? Do you know how many people have said to me over the years, "Ah, Dr. Francis, you just don't understand. I, I don't teach my children to see color. I say, well, I, I know you're very well intentioned with that but that's actually very harmful because to not teach children to see color, you're teaching them to not see the beauty of all of the diversity that God has created one, but second and equally as important, you're teaching them to not understand the meaning that humans have attached to color and which we have issues of white privilege and white supremacy over and against people of other colors, particularly of Black people in the history of this country. So it's not about, you know, becoming, quote unquote, colorblind. It's about, as many authors have said, becoming color brave and being willing to not only see what's in front of us, but to embrace the diversity and work toward equality for all. Absolutely. And, you know, 
as you indicated, I mean, this passing on from generation to generation has gone now for centuries. Yeah. So we can't expect just to magically go in, go away because it's now <laughs> with, right. without an awful lot of work to make it go away. <clears throat> right. Right. Um, so if there was one thing that you would like people to take away from your book, what would it be? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I would like for people to take away is activism of any sort begins with the heart. Oftentimes when we see people that are engaged in activist activities, whether it's protesting on the street, whether it's calling your congressperson or senator, whether it's writing letters, whether it's having small group meetings, that at the end of the day, whatever form this activism takes, it really does begin with the heart. It really does begin with something stirring on the inside of us that permits us to be bold enough to say, I can't sit this out. I can't pretend that this isn't a problem. And so my hope is that as people read Faith After Ferguson, that they're seeing the very brave and bold steps that everyday people who are just like them have taken to say, you know what, we can't continue with business as usual. We have to get involved. We have to roll up our sleeves and do the work of creating a world that is more just and equitable for our children and our grandchildren. I hope they take that away from this book. And along with that, to remember that this book is titled Faith After Ferguson, and it is Really, you know, getting to the heart of what so many of us believe is at the heart of our faith, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. That we can't say we're people of faith and not do that. I mean, one would think, right, that Christianity and Christian leaders would be the leaders of this kind of a movement, right? I mean, to love our neighbors as ourselves, what a concept. I think we've heard that before somewhere. Um, you know, it's like, okay, why is such a large segment of quote unquote Christianity the ones digging in their heels against it as much? It's just it's just unbelievable. It, it's it's unbelievable, and I'm so appreciative of the work that so many. Um, scholars and leaders are doing to shine a light on Christian nationalism and how it has gotten completely in bed with the movement of white supremacy in this country. I talked some about that in Faith After Ferguson, but because too often we have seen the cross wrapped in the American flag, and that has nothing to do with what God calls of us and what any of the scriptures (laughs) call us to do or be about. So we've got to untether the flag from the cross. And until we do that, we're going to continue to have this really problematic conflation of this sort of nationalism with with, with, uh, an identity of Christianity that is rooted and grounded in white supremacy. That is not of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it'd be bad enough, you know, to not have separation of church and state. I mean, we've seen what that's done 
throughout history in other countries, you know, left and right. But when that quote unquote form of Christianity is doing what it's doing, that it's, it's clearly not the values that Christ's role model for us. They, they are inconsistent with the values that, that, that Christ laid out for us. They are inconsistent with the values of any of our major religious traditions. They are totally inconsistent with all of that. So we have to do the work, especially as people of faith, especially as those of us who identify as Christians to say, no, this is actually antithetical to the gospel. It is not consistent with the gospel. What's consistent with the gospel is loving your neighbor as as yourself, is doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God. That is what's consistent with the gospel. Amen. Amen. So um, looking forward, I mean, do you have any plans for future books uh, that you can talk about, or is it way too early to uh, discuss anything like that? (laughs) Well, you know, we never know. Uh, Ferguson and Faith and the follow-up book, Faith After Ferguson, these two books were not planned. And so here they are, and as we're (laughs) launching Faith After Ferguson and trusting that it too will find resonant with so many people as um, its its sister did, uh, Faith uh, Ferguson and Faith. You know who knows what might be next. But because I mentioned earlier, activism it starts in the heart. This is in my heart. You know this is in my DNA, if you will. Because as a mom of two African-American sons as just a human being that cares about people. You know, I imagine I'll be talking about this for, for, for quite some time. Unfortunately, I don't think it's a problem that's going to go away anytime soon. So, uh, <sighs> you know, unfortunately, uh, I think you'll, you'll have more material for more books on, <sighs> on this subject. But, uh, but anyway, hopefully, hopefully we can all move the ball forward a little bit. That, that is the hope and prayer. <laughs> In any event, um, where can people find more about you and your work and your book? Yes, um, the book of Faith After Ferguson is available on Amazon. It is avail- It can be pre-ordered right now um, on Amazon. Just go to Amazon, type in Faith After Ferguson. You can pre-order it today. If you have not read the first book, Ferguson and Faith, you can order that. That book is already well in circulation. And if you want to read that one now to get caught up in terms of what was initially going on and then pick up with Faith After Ferguson to find out what's happened since then and how, you know, we see ourselves moving forward in the years ahead, go ahead and get that on Amazon as well as uh, on Chalice Press's website and wherever you're finding your, your local books. Good, good. Well, Leah, again, congratulations on this great new book and uh, so glad to, you know, hear more about your work. Thank you so much. And also you can follow me on Twitter at drleahgfrancis.com or find me on Facebook as well. Good, good, good. All right. Well, thank you again, Leah. Thank you for having me, Brian. It was my pleasure to talk with you.